The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you, in you, are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and choose the way of your wisdom through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Way back in February of 1993. Back in February of 1993, I was stationed here as a lieutenant in the criminal investigative unit of the Department of Public Safety. Stationed here in San Antonio. And, and in that month, a monumental criminal catastrophe occurred. It was a, a colossal, a, a violent, deadly, disastrous criminal event that took place near Alt, Altel, Texas, about 20 miles southeast, uh, correction, about 20 miles northeast of Waco, Texas. It was at a location known at that time as the Mount Carmel Center. The Mount Carmel Center. Now, this this center uh, was was uh, composed of a extremist sect of so-called Christians, and that they were not, who called themselves Branch Davidians. They were led by a fanatical madman named David Koresh, who became, and this sect became engaged in a 51-day military standoff, military siege against the United States, against the United States federal agents. Now, we here in San Antonio were called to assist the federal agents by securing an outer perimeter of the crime scene as it even started. And when it first started, there was a raid conducted by federal agents as they attempted to run a search warrant on the compound. It was believed through informants that they were stockpiling military-type weapons at the compound. And so ATF, as they were known at that time, ran a search warrant on the compound, and when they tried to execute that search warrant, they engaged, the Branch Davidians engaged the, the federal agents in combat. I mean, they, it was crazy. It went crazy. They, they started, if you could, some of us can still remember, they started shooting at the federal agents. Federal agents responded. Some were killed. Many of the Branch Davidians were killed. And then after that, after it, it settled down, then it was, there was a siege. There was a, there was a time of negotiation where they were trying to negotiate the crime scene, trying to get them to surrender. 
without no more fatalities. But we were a part of that. Again, we 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 uh, we were responsible for the outer perimeter. And and as the crime scene took place, after the after the whole thing came went up in smoke, so to speak, we also helped with the criminal investigation part of it. Again, many of you may recall this horrific event and know the end of the story, know how it ended, know that it all came down as, as, as fl in flames. The whole compound came down as flames. And even though they negotiated and, and there were and many people were, were released, 75 of the Branch Davidians were killed at the very end. They were killed. There were many adults and children who were killed. They died in a blaze of fire. Now, please don't, please understand, and make no mistake, this group was by no means Christian. Again, they were led by an insane false prophet. An insane false prophet, but it's a prophet. A prophet's been around since the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they were seers. They spoke for the Lord. They were inspired by the Lord to speak. They, they spoke about the things of that time. They foresaw things in the future. Prophets today exist, as Jesus tells us, because he says, beware. Be, beware of false prophets. He makes a statement as though, hey, everybody knows they're here, because they still exist even today, back then and even today. Prophets are those who proclaim the true and living word of God from scripture, from the Bible. See, the Bible's closed off. God himself came down from heaven and spoke to us. He engaged us. And so the Bible has been closed off. by It was written by those who walk with him, and it has now been closed. So those who prophesy, those who are prophets today, are preachers who preach the word, the true and living word of the gospel. This madman did not. He distorted the word of gospel. It is clear that he distorted the word of gospel, and he led many people astray and many others to their death, to destruction. Koresh, whose birth name was Vernon Wayne Howell, like so many other false prophets in Christian history, disguised himself in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. Who are the sheep? We are the sheep. The shepherd is Christ. We are led by the shepherd. We are the sheep. He is. He was disguised. He disguised himself as a sheep, but inwardly he was a, a ravenous, a ravenous, a, an extremely hungry, vicious wolf. Wolf. My friends, in Christ, a wolf is a mortal enemy of sheep. Sheep for a wolf are, are delicacies. They devour and destroy sheep. That's why they're described as such in the Bible. They've been around since the beginning. Obviously, wolves are not a part of God's true and living church. However, they infiltrate 
the church. See, anybody's welcome into the church. Anyone is welcome to come and worship. They're invited to come. We are called to share the good news with the world. And that includes wolves who are coming disguised in sheep's clothing. These wolves who become false prophets, again, have been around not just in, in, in Christian history. They've been around since the very beginning. They're spoken about in the Old Testament. What Jesus warns us in his Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the series we're in, when he warns us in his Sermon on the Mount to beware of false prophets, he is making an assertion, an assertion that is a forceful statement that false prophets do have and will continue to exist. Why? And why do they infiltrate like they do? Well, because this is a broken world. This is a fallen world. There are all types of people that are here, and they're all welcome to come and hear the word of God. How can you, how can you determine a wolf in sheep's clothing? You can't. You just welcome everybody, and you love Love everybody. You don't have to like everybody like we've spoken like we spoken before. You don't have to like what they're doing, but you're called to love them and bring them forth and share the gospel. As we spoke about last Sunday, our Lord was concerned about one great principle, one great message. As he comes toward the end of, this, of his Sermon on the Mount, he's concerned about one great message. He is emphasizing one thing, and that's the importance of entering, entering, and we really hammered that one last week, entering through the narrow gate, entering through the narrow gate. Yeah, he certainly, he makes certain that we are truly, that we truly walk, when we enter to the, through the narrow gate, that we truly walk the narrow path as a Christian, as a Christ follower. That's what he's talking about. That's what we spoke about last week. And we are called, and, and we again, we hammered this last week, we are called to make a choice. We are called to take action. We are called to enter through the narrow gate. So picture, if you will, now in our past passage today, Christ is continuing, okay? Picture, if you will, what he's saying in our passage. We have, we, you, you and I are standing here, and we are being called by the Lord God Almighty, by Jesus Christ himself, to enter through the narrow gate. Because we have two choices and only two choices. We can only enter through this narrow gate which we're told is hard, it is difficult, because it's against the world. But in the end, it is going to lead us to life eternal. Or we're going to have to choose to enter through the wide gate, the narrow gate, the wide gate. The wide gate is opened up. The whole, in fact, the whole world is already in it. But we're called to make a choice. So, we're, so picture this. We're standing out here. You got the narrow gate. You got the wide gate. The whole world is going through it. And, it, and Christ tells us it's easy. 
It's easy because you don't have to buck the system. It's easy because you don't have to go against the grain of the world. It's easy because if the world says this is okay, this is how we, we need to believe, these are the morality of the world, then we go, yeah, yeah, we're, we believe it. It's easy. But then Jesus tells us what? He says, but that narrow, that wide gate leads to a wide path, a wide road, a wide way, and there's a lot of people on it, but it leads to destruction. Destruction. That means hell. That means death, eternal death. So that's the picture Jesus is drawing, and he's saying, enter. Enter. you got to choose. If you don't choose, you're already in. You're already in the wide gate. But you have to choose to enter the narrow gate. You have to choose to receive Christ. You don't only receive him as your Savior, you receive him as your Lord. So that puts Christ where? It puts him first and foremost in your life. And sometimes that takes a while. There is a process of learning that. When we choose the, the narrow gate, we're choosing Christ. And George and touched on it just a few minutes ago. I want you to understand this is very important. When we're in the world, we're basically already a part of the wide road. We've entered through the wide gate just in birth. We're on the wide road. The narrow gate is hidden from us. We can't even see it. It's so narrow, we can't even see it unless God opens our eyes. Unless God takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh and, and sprinkles you with heavenly water. In other words, sprinkles you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you see it narrow. Now you see another gate. And God is saying, okay, you heard the gospel. Salvation is through me. You got to choose. You have to choose. And not choosing is choosing. <laughs> to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know. Well, that's choosing. It means you're not going to enter. And another thing that we do, we see we, we're, we're intelligent beings. We're going to go like, okay. I'm going to wait till I'm in big trouble, and then I'll pull that card out of my back pocket. I'll get into the gate. It doesn't work like that again. God is not mine. You have to choose to enter, choose to receive the gift of grace that comes from God himself of salvation that is earned through the life and death, the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you're choosing. You're choosing him as your Savior. You're receiving the gift. You're, you're saying, you are my Savior. You're saying, and my Lord. It means submission. So as you go through the narrow gate and you're on the narrow road, you don't deviate. You can. We do stumble. But the world is going to be against you. That's why it's so difficult. Everything's against you. And by the way, when we entered that narrow gate, we were, we were dragging a sack load of sin with us. We were already engulfed in sin. We entered through it. And we realized that the darkness that's in us. And we repented. We start the process of repenting. And we go through it for the rest of our lives. Sometimes, to even today, I think about something that happened to me before. Before God saved me. And it's like darkness, darkness. And I repent. I repent today about that, knowing that I'm already forgiven. But acknowledging it and repenting, saying, I, 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 
I ask for forgiveness and I know you've already forgiven me. And you believe and you keep going. And that's where you're at. That's what that's where we're at in this passage. Jesus is placing it, placing us at that point. So he starts talking about what? False prophets. He begins to talk about the false prophets. And the false prophets are over here on, on the wide gate saying, no, no, no. We have Jesus over here too. We have Jesus. And you know what? They'll recite scripture. They'll distort it, but they'll recite it. Satan recited scripture to, to, to Christ in the wilderness. It looks very appealing. You know what? They got to be good because they got this big old church. And they got all this stuff for our kids. And by the way, that is wonderful. I mean, our kids are our kids. They're our family. That's wonderful. It is. And they got all these things for the young adults and all. They got all this stuff. But there are so many churches like that that are being led by false prophets, that are being led by false prophets, and they are distorting. If they're even preaching scripture, they're distorting it. So that you will not be offended. But they're going to say some buzzwords. They're going to use buzzwords, and they're going to bring you in, and you're going to come in. When Sandy and I were saved, when God saw it in his loving heart to have mercy on us and save us as adults, we were disconnected from church. So after God saved us, we had a hunger to know who is this Jesus? Who is he? Why did he do what he did? Why did he have to bleed? Why did he have to die? Why did he come down? Why did he just snap his fingers and just say, Daddy, you're forgiven? No, he comes down and he lives this perfect life and he dies, sheds God's blood for our sins. I just couldn't, it's too much. So I went back, we went back to the church we came from. I mean, we heard the gospel read there. They used gospel terms, but they distorted the scripture. They kept trying to lead us away from Christ. And, and even in our ignorance of Holy Scripture, we knew that we didn't want to do that. So we left. It was hard. It was hard to leave. I got called by my mom crying on the phone, asking me why we were leaving the church. So you can imagine what that conversation was like. But so we looked for another church, and we came across another church, big building, lots of people. We showed up. By that time, Sandy and our whole family had come to had given our we had all given our life to Christ. We'd all wanted. We hungered for more. We and we came with about twelve people. It's it all family, and we sat down in the middle of a. Okay, bear with me. Okay. We sat down in the middle of an all-Anglo church. All these Hispanics in the middle of an all-Anglo church in the front. So we can make sure we heard everything that's going to be said. And we were the first ones there. And then people showed up. It was kind of loud because they were all talking to each other, which was good. Very spirited. And we thought it was a holy place. And it was, or should have been. We got to meet the pastor. The pastor was a... <laughs> So the, the guy, the pastor, he's still, he like, he's still a friend. He is somewhat of a godly man, if you can say that. 
And when we told him our story and told him how bad it was, how broken, how messed up we were, you know what he tells us? Ah, it wasn't that bad, Manny. It's not that bad, Manny and Sandra. And I'm going like, I can't believe you said that. It was that bad. It was darkness. Like, I didn't know nothing about Scripture. I've just, we were read Scripture sometimes. We're afraid to open a Bible. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You're okay. You're okay. That's a false prophet. That is, I'm sorry. It's hard to say that. But that's what we're being told here. Had he told us the truth, had he said, yes, yes, you're a lad. Yes, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner too. But what a wonderful thing God Almighty did. He had mercy on us. What was mercy? Mercy is God's grace in action. God had mercy on us, and his grace took action, and he gave us his son, and he gave us grace upon grace upon grace. His son comes down, and he dies for this awfulness that we were engulfed in. He died because we were hellbound. And it's hard, so it's hard to talk about that, but it's hard to talk about false, false prophets that exist today, that are around today. You see them on TV. You know, it, Jesus tells us how, how, how do we recognize a false prophet? Well, you will know, you will tell, you can tell by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. And he says a good tree does not produce diseased or bad fruit. And a diseased or a bad tree that cannot produce good fruits. So here's what that's telling us. It says that when we become a Christian, we don't take on godly morality and we don't take on this, knowing this or knowing that. That doesn't, that, it doesn't mean that. There are people more moral than we are. What it means when we become a Christian, it means that we are a new creation. We're a new creature. We are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. We're not taking on new morality. We're taking on a new life. And God's word calls us and tells us what we are to do and how we are to behave and how our, our behavior should be. It tells us what is right and what is wrong. Our God has morals. He's a loving God. Christ is a loving God. But he's also a God that has morals. He says there's right and there is wrong. And more than anything, he says that we were created to glorify and worship the Father, worship God. That's why you were created. So when we don't come and worship, and, and we're talking about corporate worship, okay, and personal worship, but mainly corporate worship because we're an assembly. And many times when, when, it, when it talks about you, you, it's talking in the plural, you, talking about God's people. So when we worship, when, when we glorify God the best is when we worship corporately. That's what we are created to do. Everything else is secondary. If you don't have your bearing straight, 
If you don't have your theology straight, you're going to mess up. You might turn into a false prophet. You have to begin by worshiping him all the time, especially in corporate worship, especially in a God-centered, gospel-driven church that tells you the truth. That is a sin. That is not a sin. That is good. That is bad. That's wrong. If your church cannot tell you, if your pastor cannot tell you that, if you yourselves cannot make those type of judgments, you're, you're not doing what a Christian should do. So what does that mean? We're created to worship God. That means, first and foremost, right now we're worshiping. Right now we're worshiping together. We are doing what we are created to do. After we're done, we're going to say we love you and all that. Well, then we're going to think about next Sunday. we got a plan for next Sunday because we're coming to worship. We're coming to worship. And everything else is secondary to that. Everything else, we have to repent. That's, that's tough, right? Because we think about, okay, what do we have? Like, well, okay, what do we have to work? Those things can happen. We do everything in our power to change our schedule, do whatever we can to stop that. We pray. We start with prayer, asking God, Lord, God, all, all I want to do is worship you. And I, but I have to work. I have to provide for my family. He understands that. So what's going to happen? You're going to have to make a sacrifice. Oh, man, what a novelty, making a sacrifice for the Almighty. And, and there are times when we get sick. Okay, we get sick. God knows we're sick. We repent. He knows. Look, God knows in our heart how we feel. God knows in our heart we're driven to worship him and because we got sick. Don got sick today. Our beloved Don, and we pray for him. He had to leave. Those things happen. God is aware. But if you truly, in your heart, know that something has come up where we can't do what we were created to do, God will know that. And even then we try to come. Does that make sense? Does that, that means that he is here. When we put anything else there, that becomes an idol. We become an idol worshiper. Walking through the narrow gate is difficult. Oh, so many times we've talked about this. We have to inconvenience ourselves. It's going to cost us our lives. Our lives. That means what? Time, effort, money. Oh, no, I'm leaving now. That's a four-letter word right there. Oh, we can't give money. You know what? There's no tithing in the New Testament. See, that's how we do it. We're smart, man. We're smart. And then somebody asked the question, well, you find, find where it was repealed. Find where it was repealed, where tithing was repealed, and you can't find it. And we've spoken about this before, so I'm not going to beleaguer that. God wants you to trust him. And the hardest thing for us to do is trust him with our money. And did I say money, our money? Did I say that? Oh, man, wow. Not my money. It's his money. I'm just, a, look, I'm doing the best job I can to be a good steward. And I need his help to be a good steward. Of not just my time, my effort, but even my finances. So let's move from that because that, that's, that's one of the last idols that we have as as we walk this narrow path, the wide gate is easy. We row with the flow. 
It's easy to roll with the flow. Just roll with the flow and you'll be fine. You're rolling with the flow. You don't go against the grain. You go with the grain. How much smoother is, right? How much smoother it is to go with the grain instead of against the grain? Now, the Lord says at this point to beware. Beware of the false prophet. Beware of the danger of listening to the false prophet. They're standing at the, they'll, they'll stand at the narrow gate too to keep you. Hey, look, it's over here, over here. That They have Jesus over there. They'll try to hide the narrow gate if they can because they don't want you to come through it. And that is what Jesus is warning us of. The false prophet who disguise themselves as sheep, as Christians, as godly men and women. But when God opens our eyes and we hear what they have to say, we will realize they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. When we go and encounter a false prophet, Jesus said that we will recognize them by their fruit, by their fruits. What does that mean? Well, their fruits are their teaching, what they teach, what they believe, and how they live, how they live their life. So it's, it's broken up into two, two parts. Richard Niebuhr, a famous theologian, had a great cult about that. The teachings of a false prophet. He says this. He wrote this about, and he, he he equates a false prophet with liberal Christianity. So that's that that's him. Okay, but yeah, he, this, he writes this about a false prophet. He says that they preach a God without wrath, brought to men without sin, into a kingdom without judgment through a ministry, ministry of a Christ without a cross. Does that sound like anyone you've ever heard that tries to pass himself off as a pastor here or anywhere else? I mean, David Koresh, going back to the Mount Carmel, David Koresh taught had false teachings. He, he distorted scripture. He distorted end-time prophecy. He distorted the, the view of Armageddon, the, the battle there. And he distorts the whole thing. He distorts it so much that he started stockpiling weapons in anticipation of the end time. Weapons. Like you're thinking, this guy's really got it wrong. I mean, what are you going to do when God opens up heaven and he comes in, the, in all his glory with the angels of heaven? calling up those who have died and those who are with them. You're going to pick up a rifle and shoot at them or what? I mean, it's crazy. That's what he taught. And he led people, many people to their death. Led people, many, many people to, to uh, astray. False prophets, again, have been around uh, throughout biblical history. There were false prophets throughout the Old Testament. To gain their hearers, false prophets have to clothe themselves as sheep. But inwardly, they're wolves. Wolves. 
Now, it, it can be sad because there are some people that really think that they're saved and they're Christian. But they're distorting the word of God. And that is painful to hear. And the reason they distort the word of God is because they never studied it. And they picked up a passage here and a passage there, or they've gone to YouTube and some nut is talking about something that may pertain to that passage. Instead of just reading for what it is and digging into it and being a part of a God-centered, gospel-driven church and being a part of Bible studies where you can grow. See, God holds us accountable. But God holds me accountable. He holds his leaders, his church leaders accountable even to a higher standard, and we're going to get into that. That's another, the next passage coming up. He, he will look at some people who shared the gospel correctly, but not believed it or had other idols, and he will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you, you wicked servant. Even though some people who heard that message may have been saved. That shows you the, the, the power of the gospel message is more powerful than the messenger himself. The false prophets will introduce heresies, destructive heresies. They will fabricate stories about the gospel. There's a, there's a pastor who heads up the biggest church in North America, the, the biggest church in North America out of Houston, uh, this pastor on television, it says that he had more than 20 million viewers, not to mention the people that show up on Sundays, and they have service on Saturdays and Sundays, and they bring thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people just to listen to him preach a distorted message. This man is a false prophet. If you listen to his preaching, it doesn't take long to hear what he is saying. He doesn't preach about sin. He doesn't even want to talk about sin. See, how, how can you discover that you need a Savior if you don't even talk about sin? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. You know, these people, they have a hard enough time in their life. During the week, they, they run into the, just all this trouble. So I'm going to give them this pep talk. I'm going to give them this inspirational speech. And they get inspired. And he'll throw a, a buzz verse in, the, in there. The sounds really good, but he doesn't talk about sin. He doesn't talk about atonement, the real atonement, the blood, the blood of Christ. He is leading many, many astray. His preaching, it is noticeable in his preaching that he does not mention, again, sin, nor does he mention repentance. Isn't that what it's all about. Like when you become a born-again Christian, the first thing you notice is how dirty you are. And you want to turn away. You want to get away. You, you want to repent. There's no talk about repentance. That would mean that you're a sinner. He doesn't want to talk about sin. That is a false prophet. And there's he's got millions of followers. He's not the only one. He tells the people, he says that if you Want to be, he says, God wants to bless you financially. All you got to do is give. This is prosperity gospel nonsense. He'll tell you that. If you'll just give of your finances, God, God, God wants to make you rich. That's what he wants to do. And he'll twist passages and 
verses around to make it sound as if that's what that verse says. It is nonsense. He is a false prophet. False prophets uh, are determined also by their lives and how what kind of life they're living. And some, if you just do a little bit of digging, you will discover the sinful life that they're in. I mean, someone like, there was another pastor in Louisiana, a famous pastor, a mega church. He preached with anger, fire. And then he found out he was seeing a prostitute during the week. He would go out and look for prostitutes during the week. But I mean, that's their fruit. That's their fruit. What gave him all this passion to preach this fire? Well, he liked the notoriety. He liked people coming to him. He liked the money that was coming in. I mean, don't tell him what drove him to this. But he's not the only one. There are many, many, many more. And Jesus is telling us, you and I, to beware of these false prophets. And many people, look, I hate to say Stephen's Chapel, our church. There are people who have come and gone, and you have seen them come and leave. They hear the gospel being preached, and they go, golly, it's tough. That's tough. I don't know if I can do this. Maybe if I go to this other church, they won't be so hard on me. It'd be a little easier. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe I just stay home. It's going to be okay. That's false teaching. That's a false prophet. That's, false, that's a false mentality. So what do you need to hear? You need to hear. What it says in verse 19, it says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown, thrown into the fire. Now, why do you need to hear that? Well, because a false prophet is going to be cut down and thrown into the fires of hell. You are also called to produce good fruit. See, you're a new creation. You're a new tree, so to speak. And a new tree, a good tree, can only produce good fruit. So what does that mean? It means that you, you are obedient, not to be saved, but because you're already saved, you're a new tree. You're going to produce good fruit by being obedient to God. But let's say that you think that you were born again, but you're still producing bad fruit. What do you think is going on there? A bad or diseased tree cannot produce good fruit. That's scary. If you find yourself, or if you know somebody that finds himself in this position, share the gospel with them. Share the good news with them. You can have them call me. If you're online watching this stream, you can call me. We can talk about it. But that's what's going on. That's scary. That's what we need to hear. The gospel is not just a message to be heard, it must be applied to our lives so that good fruit may result. Beware, therefore, of false prophets who distort the gospel and lead many astray. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Father. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.